You are listening to the Draper Fisher Jurvetson Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Seminar, brought to you weekly by Stanford Technology Ventures Program at Stanford University School of Engineering. And today's guest for the first of the quarter is Janice Roberts, who is the managing director of the Mayfield Fund. And she has been, how many years have you been there? Six and a half. Okay, six and a half years at Mayfield. And before that, she was involved with starting the uh, investment portfolio for 3Com Ventures. She was educated in the UK and has a degree in economics and finance. Without further ado, Janice Roberts. Thank you. So uh, first of all, thanks very much for having me here this afternoon at the relative start of a new year. So I'm excited to have the opportunity to get to know you a little bit. I'll speak for a few minutes, a few, maybe a few more than a few, and then I'd like to have the opportunity to get some questions from you, which I hope I can answer. But it's always good to get your thinking, and I can take that back to my partners and beyond, and it, it really is good to get to know what you're thinking about. Now, one thing I will mention, Tina kindly mentioned our Mayfield Fellows Program. And just to give you a sense of how important that is, I have a young son, he's 12, and he's at middle school. And he wasn't doing so well in his PE class. He wasn't really paying attention. He's a bit of a cheeky guy. And so I emailed his uh, PE teacher, and he emailed me back, and he called me back. And I thought, well, this is great. This is very responsive from a teacher. Turns out his wife was a Mayfield Fellow. And he called me, are you the Mayfield? And anyway, it turns out his wife was a Mayfield Fellow. She came from Stanford. And uh, she's working in technology now, got a great job. But it was a great connection. But of course, that's not a reason to be a Mayfield Fellow, but it shows that you get around. So anyway, for any Mayfield Fellows here, welcome. And uh, we're pleased to be associated with you. So when I was asked to do this, I thought, what can I talk about? So it is the new year. And so the obvious thing would be to talk about key trends for 2007 and beyond. So I'm going to talk about new trends, but I thought I'd uh, articulate those trends in a slightly different way. So, of course, I've used a title here that comes from a TV program, if you haven't seen it, with uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and this is the uh, new Christine. But I don't portray myself as one of the old VCs, but I, I sort of am. And it's really important for us to adapt to what is going on around us. And so for a long time now, the venture capital industry has been Sand Hill Road, a little bit beyond, but very much about here and in the valley. And there have been some fundamental changes in the last couple of years, and there will be more. And I wanted to give you a sense of how we're seeing the world in which we operate and how we're adapting to some of those changes in order to build the next generation of great companies, which, of course, we hope you may start, you may join, you may participate in. So, that's what I want to talk about. Of course, I have to talk a little bit about Mayfield, and uh, that's why I'm here primarily. So we are a venture capital firm based a few minutes away in Sand Hill Road with very strong ties here to the university. What has changed in Mayfield? When I joined Mayfield six and a half years ago, I was a little concerned about coming from an international company to what I consider to be a somewhat parochial industry. And one of the reasons I joined Mayfield was that it was a diverse firm. It had a partner called Dalal and a partner called Fong, and I thought that was very interesting. And in fact, in all my international travels, a partner from Mayfield was the only one I'd ever seen on an international flight. So this encouraged me. And it also encouraged me that the outlook that the firm had. Well, we're not alone today. We're looking at investments from 
here to Beijing, to Bangalore, and in fact, in the last few months, we've made investments in those places. And when I talk about the trends, I'd like to come back to some of the things we're actually doing within Mayfield, but more importantly, what we're trying to do as an industry. We have 12 investing professionals who operate in a, a bunch of different sectors, from communications and networking to software, and increasingly in consumer and internet fields, digital media, and so on. We've been around for a long time. We're one of the older VCs. We've been around since 1969. And what I'm going to talk to you today is really important because we are adapting. We have to adapt. We have to embrace change. And I'd like to articulate that. Today we have um, a number of portfolio companies that we hope you know of. And we've certainly been successful in recent months having a number of interesting exits. We've sold companies to Cisco, to Juniper, to, to Google. And obviously, that's a, a very interesting trail for us. We're looking towards getting an IPO or two this year. And of course, everybody's looking for that. They're fewer and far between these days, unfortunately. But we've been investing in a broad spectrum from communications, mobile devices, mobile applications through to consumer and internet. And this is really important for us to understand as we go forward. The trend has been not necessarily away from traditional markets like telecom and enterprise towards consumer. But certainly, there's a much stronger balance in terms of looking at more consumer-orientated applications as we go forward. So hopefully, some of these names that you see here, they will become household names. Certainly, one thing I will point out, that we're very active still in the venture capital world. We made 17 investments last year, of which a handful were in China. And so in the internet space, in the gaming space, in the online betting space that you perhaps wouldn't do here in travel, really emulating some of the markets that have been big markets here and now local markets in China. We've also made uh, a couple of investments in India as well, one in optical networking and one in a seed fund, which is starting a whole bunch of new exciting opportunities there. Just to recap on myself so you know me a little more, I've mentioned I've been at Mayfield for a few years now. Immediately prior to, to uh, Mayfield, I was at 3Com. And at 3Com, I really did a lot of different things. I'd come to 3Com through selling my own networking company to, to the firm. I ran a bunch of businesses. I also led marketing and business development. I acquired about 32 businesses, including three Mayfield companies. And I also acquired Palm. And so Palm reported to me. And um, after Donna Dominski left and formed Handspring, I ran Palm for a while. And I structured the IPO before I left and came to Mayfield. So that was a very exciting time and got me back into the wireless world. And so you'll see that at Mayfield, a number of my investments have been in that sector, which has been, in fact, very exciting. I come from the UK. I think you can perhaps tell. Many people here think I come from Australia or New Zealand. And I do have family there. So I may be picking up a little bit of that accent. But I was uh, born and raised in a very rural part of the UK, in fact. And um, coming to Silicon Valley is almost as far as you can get from where I was raised. But certainly, the interesting thing now is when I go back home and I still keep a house in the countryside, in the Cotswolds area of the UK, I have faster broadband. And Wi-Fi is everywhere. And uh, there are sheep and cows and a couple of farms around. And I can still pick up a couple of Wi-Fi networks, which I find extraordinary. So I. Um, have uh, a couple of children, and they're age 10 and 12, and they're certainly early adopters of technology. You should see their bedrooms. And I look to them often for advice, particularly when it comes to mobile devices and gaming. So let's talk about some of these uh, trends that we see. So you've, you've all heard about the new move towards this uh, global world. 
And I, I've seen that you've had a couple of presentations, people like John Doerr, who've touched on that. So I won't copy what they've said, but I would just like to iterate to you how this is changing, because we are looking more and more at companies who will have global plays. So a few years ago, we started to think about the world, not just in terms of markets for our companies, but also in terms of leveraging talent for outsourcing. Now we're looking at investing in those countries and building companies. So at Mayfield, we now have Mayfield China. We've just announced this. We started to invest in China alongside another fund two years ago. And after spending some time in Beijing last year, we decided that we would embrace that fund and it would become Mayfield China. So we are now investing in companies that are participating in the Chinese local market and also in companies such as semiconductors and components that are looking to exploit the global opportunity from China. So this is very exciting for us. In order to be glo global, you have to be local. So we have a local team in place there. So we're not trying to manage those companies from here, but we are trying to learn what is important there. So you know, we are spending time trying to understand those new opportunities and how we can also support the companies that we've invested in. So once again, you've got a country that is emerging and growing fast and is looking to leverage what's been done in the US, but also adapting those things to its own market. And what is interesting, one of the companies we've invested in in China is a dating site. So there's lots of online dating here. But in China, it's also difficult for Chinese people to have somewhere to meet. So our online dating has an offline component. So we have um, lounges and places where people can actually meet the people they've met online, offline. So, you know, you have to adapt some of those businesses for the local markets. And I thought that was particularly interesting. And, and they're very nice rooms, by the way. It's all about having tea and coffee, and that's about it. But it, 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 was, it was fun to see. So um, we're also looking to India very carefully. And if you look at the Indian market, there is just a huge middle class there. And there is an abundance of talent. And there may be many of you here who come from India. What is interesting is that we're seeing more entrepreneurs going back to India to build businesses there. And there is a very strong communications infrastructure there that's being built. And the talent that's building that is taking those products and taking them to other markets. So I mentioned we've just invested in an optical networking company. Two of our partners are in India right now. And they're looking to assess how we might address the India market. So we think for us it would be very difficult to spend too much time developing early stage companies like we do here, but we'd like to get involved later and take it from there. But very interesting. And the other thing when you look at these countries is that you're not necessarily investing in technology. You might be investing in a shoe manufacturer or the next Starbucks or the next Hertz. And so it's very exciting looking at these types of businesses and how we can build great global companies. So a few years ago, VCs were very focused on this area, maybe Seattle, maybe LA, maybe Boston. And now they really are looking to the world. What is fascinating to me is that, and you might think I'm exaggerating, but not by much actually, and you were traveling there recently. If you wanted to get to see a VC, you used to go to Bucks. Now the place to go is the Grand Hyatt in Beijing. And it, you know, I got off the flight in November from here to Beijing, and I immediately bumped into one of our ex-CEOs. There was another VC on the flight who was asleep, actually. I kept trying to wake him up. But you know, it, it's just amazing, the energy and the excitement about this market. Of course, we have to be careful. 
It's easier to put money into a country or into a company, let me tell you, and to get it out. So we're being measured in our approach, but we as a venture capital industry are very, very proactive. And what Mayfield is doing is, is not unique, and certainly in some cases, venture capital firms are further along than us in China. And so we're all trying to evaluate our opportunities, and it's exciting. So another thing that's changed is that we have to get to know the new consumer. It wasn't so long ago that we invested in a technology, and the consumers who use that technology tended to be early adopters. They were perhaps other VCs like me, perhaps you. Now we're seeing technology is really going mainstream. And the other big change is that consumers want technology, but they also want to influence it. So we're not packaging up a technology, putting it on the shelf of Best Buy, and waiting for someone to take it and play with it. We really are interacting with consumers in very different ways. The demographic is changing enormously. I'm sure now your parents are taking to technology in a way you wouldn't have imagined a few years ago. I mean, in my family, we're sharing photographs. With most of my family, I text message on a regular basis. My father has a laptop. And he complained to me recently that there wasn't a Wi-Fi network in the local pub. That's a big deal, trust me, when technology takes on that level of ubiquity and pervasiveness in society. So we're very excited about that. And it really pervades many of the companies that we're looking at. So the interesting thing is that consumers broadly now, not just like you or me, want to be connected always. So we're looking to take more content to the mobile phone. They're interested in having information where and when they want it. So obviously we've seen time shifting in the TV world. And now we're seeing a much more diverse set of programming being developed from New York and Hollywood and, and beyond. So people are going to have their own a la carte menu of programs. It's going to be very interesting how this changes, how people want programs, the type of programs that are going to be developed, how they're going to be taken to TV, to the PC, and to the mobile phone. And these are all places that we're looking to play in. The other interesting thing is that consumers have higher and higher expectations for technology. They're impatient, they're interactive, they care. So an example is search. A few years ago, people looked to search on Google, and they were delighted because they had a way of finding out information, getting to information that they needed. Now, they don't want to get to the site. They want the answer. So people are getting more impatient with search. They want information that is contextually, contextually appropriate. They don't want to wait, and they don't want to continue to surf. They want the answers. So this is changing the world of search. Google obviously is continuing to develop their offering, but other companies are coming in with the next search. And so all this is very exciting to us as venture capitalists because we're seeing new opportunities. We're seeing people are changing the way they live in their homes. Now obviously when you live here, you get a different perspective of technology in homes. People have media rooms and all sorts of wonderful things. But certainly, with the pervasiveness of broadband, with voice over IP, with wireless, mobile, Wi-Fi, we're seeing that people are expecting content to be delivered to their home in different ways, real time, their choice, not somebody else's choice. And this is going to lead us to more and more options as we go forward in terms of developing new companies and delivering those services to consumers. The real change is consumers are embracing technologies and they care. We're also seeing new types of entertainment. So not wanting to overplug our companies, I'm an investor 
in a casual gaming company called Play First. And this is targeted at women and families. And it's doing very well because more and more women are looking to their laptop on the dining table or in the kitchen to play games when and where they want to. It's a great way to occupy their mind, to release their stress. They're looking to play those games on mobile phones. And as you know, people are looking to build homes and villages and cities and all sorts of things using the computers and getting their sort of stress relief in the virtual worlds around them. So this is, again, very exciting for us. The consumer is really participating in technology in a way they never have before. And the consumer is the mainstream consumer. It's not just the early adopter. And then, of course, you take these technologies to other overseas markets, and you're seeing that consumers are leapfrogging. If you go to other countries, you see much more advanced use of point-of-sale technologies than you do here in the US. You see much more advanced mobile, use of mobile applications. So in parts of Europe, and I'm sure some of you come from there and you've heard this before, people are paying with mobile phones. People are searching with mobile phones. People do this naturally and automatically without really thinking about it. And the age range is getting younger and the age range is getting older. And so again, many, many new opportunities for us to address, but we have to understand that consumer. They will not put up with the complicated, costly, slow technologies that we have delivered to them in the past. So we have to step up. We have to understand their needs, and we have to deliver to those needs. So these are really interesting things that we're having to assess as we go forward. The days of developing something and delivering it to the consumer, and it doesn't meet their needs, are over. They will reject it. And they won't just reject it silently. They'll reject it over every website possible. And so this is a really important issue for us to understand, that we deliver subpar goods and services. The world knows about it. And I'll come back to that. Getting younger every day, of course, we all try to do this. And uh, we all, I mean, particularly at this time of the year, right? I was commenting today to someone, you go out to lunch just after the new year, everybody's eating salads, everybody's running in the mornings, and you know, we're all trying to get fit and young and all that. But the real, the real point here is that the people that we interact with, the people in some of the newer and faster growing markets, are much younger than we'd ever dealt with before. So we sort of joke amongst ourselves, if you want to raise money, drop out, wear jeans, a sweatshirt, wear a hat, come into, the, you know, wear your trainers, come in, look cool, bring a skateboard. You know, it's much, you stand a much bigger chance of getting money than if you come in in a suit with a briefcase. But the point here is that younger people are really looking to leverage technology in very exciting ways. And obviously, we've known about some of the big ones in recent years in terms of building communities, in terms of self-promotion, which is something else we have to understand, with MySpace, with Facebook. The world has completely changed. And so we have to understand not just you, but people much younger than you, and how they are looking to embrace technology, to use technology, to interact with technology, in order for us to invest in the right companies going forward. And these are really attractive markets for us. In the last 10 years, you've seen an enormous market emerge with, with gaming. Gaming on all sorts of consoles, TV, mobile phones. 
And we have participated in this somewhat, but you know, more and more people are building bigger and bigger games. And so this is a very exciting, very substantial, serious market that wasn't there not so long ago. We've all heard about music and mobile applications. But the point is, in many of these new opportunities, the people that influence this are the youth of today, and certainly not people who are 50 plus who are thinking about it, but younger people. And they're starting those businesses, they're leading those businesses, great entrepreneurial spirit and enthusiasm. And if any of you have any ideas in this space, we'd love to talk to you because it's really important that we understand what you're thinking about and that we really support some of you in building some of these new opportunities. Losing control. Nobody likes to lose control. But what's happening here? So the traditional way to bring a product to market was you develop it, you package it, you position it, you have a marketing plan, you launch it in one place, then you launch it in another. I remember the early days of my marketing career. We'd have a marketing tour. We wouldn't just go from country to country in the space of a month. We'd go from city to city. You could manage that. You could control it. You could control your message. Everything's changed. Now, much of this is good. So today, much of what we look towards in terms of marketing is viral marketing. I mean, obviously, we look to the web as a means of communication, a means of search. We look at user-generated content. We look, so we look at blogs. We look at real-time feedback. We look at self-promotion. All these are new trends that affect the way we interact with customers, with consumers, affects the way we take products to market. So obviously, Time reinforced this with their Time Man of the Year, which is all of us. They've recognized how the world has changed, how we're all creating and participating in a way we hadn't done before. And we've invested in a couple of companies that are leveraging this. So we've invested in a company where people are posting sort of helpful hints how to use certain products and technologies, not waiting for the manufacturer, but often shortcuts, service problems are solved, not by the company that manufactured the product, but by the people who are using the product. And so those useful hints are being posted now onto the web, and we're looking at a way to aggregate that. I'm sure others are as well. But it's a very interesting idea that certainly wasn't there a while back. And so there's more and more of this type of thing going on. And certainly, you know, we've seen companies that have had huge viral growth with minimal marketing. It's all word of mouth. It's all web-based. If you see a great idea, you tell six people, 10 people about it, and so it goes from there. And this is new, and this is interesting, but it's something we have to think about, one, in terms of launching new products, and two, in terms of new opportunities for us as we develop new companies. But it's, it's a very interesting change. You may well have grown up with it. But for some of us, it's a whole new approach that we have to learn and to understand and to leverage. So business models, they really are quite crazy out there today. So nobody wants to pay for anything. So I talk about the economics of free quite a lot. And most, I would say, of the consumer-orientated deals that we see that come in to our company, the business is free. We're going to give this to people for free. Particularly every web-based business is free. And of course, the solution to making money 
is advertising, 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 advertising. Every business model is advertising. So that's sort of good in that brands are looking to advertise everywhere they can, particularly with the whole time-shifting scenario of the TV. Advertisers are looking to more places to advertise, whether it's you know, on display boards, obviously online everywhere, on mobile phones, and so on. So it's interesting, but it's hard sometimes to bring together the world of advertising and the online world. Obviously, Google has done it very well, but sometimes there's a mismatch in terms of ad inventory and placement. Advertisers want to place ads next to the brand. They want to make sure their brand is promoted in the appropriate way, issues of adjacency, and so on. But this whole economics of free is very interesting. I mentioned I'm involved in a game company. Right now, we charge, but we're having to think through. We have to be free. And I think, again, it comes back to young people. People just don't want to pay. So the question for us as we look into new markets like mobile advertising is how much interruption would a consumer take in order for a service to be free? But certainly for sure, I think net of Skype and VoIP and all that, in the, in the wireless world, we're moving towards free free rate plans. You're seeing companies already in Europe, MVNOs, starting up that are offering free services. In order to get that free service, you'll have to get a banner ad or two or three or four on your phone. But certainly, the idea is that that advertising plan will be connected to some course of action so that you'll be able to discover what you're looking for. But the net of it is, this whole movement to free is a big change in our industry, and we have to understand it. So. You know, selling a product, deducting the cost, looking at the gross margin doesn't happen as often as it used to. So also, we're valuing nothing. What is the value of nothing? Nothing at all. So the key point here is that in many of the business plans we see, the initial product is free. So take gaming for an example. So the initial game is free, but customers, consumers will pay for digital goods. So if you have a character in a game, you might be prepared to train that character and pay for it. You might be prepared to dress that character in a certain way. You might be prepared to pay to upgrade that person's home or whatever, or car if you're in a racing game. And so that's just one example, but we're seeing more and more opportunities now where people are willing to pay for nothing. So they're trading nothing. And so how we value nothing is very interesting. And so, again, you look to some of the auction techniques or whatever. But to me, it's very fascinating what people will pay for today. So a real service they want for free, nothing they want to pay for. And so I'm exaggerating to make a point, but these are some of the things that we're thinking about as we're going into 2007 and looking at new businesses. And you'll see here I put beyond boxes, because the whole old way of packaging things in boxes and charging for those boxes is gone. And in many instances, when you look even at the more traditional markets where you're providing functionality in a box, might be a service to a home or a service to a company, the days of those boxes are going away. It's about software, and that software might be delivered as a service. So things are changing. So how you charge for things, how you provide that service, how you service that service, is really changing, and we have to, to understand that and address it.
The other interesting thing for me in the Valley is how we're going Hollywood. What was interesting to me when I came to California, first of all, and, and like most Brits, when I thought about California, I thought about L.A. I mean, that's how you perceive California if you don't live here. But of course, I come to San Francisco, and there's a huge divide between San Francisco and L.A. Here in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, we're technology-centric, we're intellectual, we're smart, you know, we're all those things that people in LA are not, these media guys, crazy people, granola, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, there really was a big gap and, you know, I don't think people traveled there very much. What is interesting now is that we're up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down all the time. Another way to meet a VC is to get on one or other of the LA or Orange County flights backwards and forwards because we're really seeing the convergence of technology and entertainment in a way that hasn't been seen ever before. And Apple, of course, is you know, a great example of that and how that's really changed fundamentally the business. Apple computing to Apple, the big entertainment company. But we're seeing it more and more. So we're all looking at opportunities to bring different types of media and entertainment to consumers on any device, on the TV, um, on the PC, on the phone. And of course, we've recently seen the announcement of the iPhone, which is going to be very interesting in terms of music and games and, and all those things. And so that's really important for us. And obviously, we've all been working through for some time now the issue of um, how we pay for those downloads and the complexities of that. So we're also looking to influence what is produced in Hollywood so that the programs, the entertainment is more suited for the types of devices that the entertainment is being transmitted on. So there's a lot of dialogue, a lot of coming together, and a lot of convergence. So there's some very interesting activity going on now. I think in the next couple of years, you'll see TV change totally. I think there'll be a whole new different way of programming with different types of programs delivered in different ways. I think you will see more and more and more entertainment coming to you on mobile devices. I think you'll see much more interaction with programs. Already we've seen companies, we haven't invested in them, where you can participate in sports. So you've already seen with your mobile phone you can participate in American Idol voting and these types of things. But this is really... There are, there are companies now where you can actually predict a play in a football game, and I won't go into any more detail than that because I don't understand American football. I do understand soccer, and I'm very pleased that David Beckham is coming to L.A. But, um, you know, I think net of that, we are seeing you know, more and more ways to interact. And actually, I have to say, in other parts of the world, and particularly in my country, in the U.K., Sky TV has been very pioneering in looking at ways to be more interactive and to deliver what the consumer wants. And we're somewhat followers here, but we're seeing a lot of activity there. So you'll see more and more and more and more interaction between LA and of course New York and here, and more and more convergence of technology and entertainment, which is obviously an interesting opportunity for us all. Another trend, thank you Al Gore. And so we are seriously greener. And so some firms are looking at clean tech as a whole new sector. 
As you know, in venture capital, traditionally we've been in technology, biotech, healthcare, and now clean, clean tech. In Mayfield, so far, we've been very focused on technology. Uh, in the past, we have invested in healthcare, we're not now. But we are starting to look at clean tech. Others are far more advanced than us. And so people do really care about their environment these days. They're not, you know, it's not lip service. Certainly, we have looked at alternative energy, and others are putting many dollars to work in the sector. Also looking at this whole concept of life quality and, and wellness and so on. And for some time there's been a lot of not for profit and now we're seeing for profit initiatives and some interesting companies being developed. And we'll start to see some IPOs coming out now in this space and that will generate more companies. Certainly you know, one of my friends a few years ago had a technology company, software company and decided to go into the whole solar world. And we all thought, whoa. And he had an IPO last year, and he's doing very well nicely. Thank you. And uh, it's just, um, it's great. It's interesting. It's appropriate. And we will be spending more time considering this. And certainly when we go into other geographies, you know, it really is an important aspect of, of, of other governments thinking. And so we have to think about it. And so I'm sure some of you are, are thinking about opportunities in this space, and I would encourage you to, to do that, and I would encourage you to think about how you can be good, be green, and be profitable, but certainly talk to VCs about funding those types of, of opportunity. Beyond technology, I, I just want to spend a couple of minutes on this because certainly VCs are known for pursuing technology companies, and we do. In most of our companies, certainly here, we're looking for some form of technology differentiator. But as we move into China and India, we're looking at non-technology businesses as well. So I mentioned before, we're looking at manufacturing. It might be castings for the automotive industry. It might be shoes. It might be you know, the next chain of coffee shops. So we're really looking to develop businesses in those countries and also to recruit the right expertise locally so that we can add some value. But this is you know, a big change for us where we've traditionally been a technology-centric group of people. But also here in the US, many of the traditional markets that we have served, quite frankly, are somewhat saturated. They're somewhat saturated because the technology is mature. Enterprise software might be one area there. But also saturated in that there are lots of dollars out here looking for those opportunities. So these deals become quite competitive, quite highly priced, and of course not too many of them will be successful. So we continue to look at new markets, and I've addressed a whole bunch of initiatives, but also in certain geographies we will look beyond tech, and that's new. So in terms of how we're seeing investing, I, I did just want to make this point because you know many of you are looking at businesses and how you get funded. And so as venture capitalists, we look at risk-reward. And what is increasingly happening, and I'm talking the royal we now in terms of the venture capital industry, not necessarily Mayfield, we're very interested in deals where we can get in early, get a reasonable ownership, add value to the company, and get a fair price deal. We're also And those deals are obviously relatively more risky because you're early, you don't know how a company's going to be developed you don't know how the market's going to grow. We're also interested in investing late. So where there is more traction in the company, there are sales, there are customers, higher priced, less risk because you know the product or the solution works. 
in the middle, difficult. You know, it's difficult today to get some of these B deals financed, which was traditionally quite a sweet spot for investors because we're concerned, particularly when you're looking at a consumer-orientated deal, if you don't know what a consumer is going to like and with a consumer product, you get it out there until a consumer says yes or no, you don't really know how well it's going to go and it's difficult to tweak a consumer product unlike software, for example. So it's risky. So you'll go in early and get the ownership. But in a middle stage deal where you need more money but you haven't yet proved the concept, it's much harder to invest in today. So if you're involved in companies like that, I would encourage you, if you can't get sales milestones, to get some milestones to prove somehow the concept that you have developed. Or when you get money in early, get enough money to take you to an appropriate milestone. Because that middle ground is, is really tough and getting tougher. So some things have changed and some things remain the same. So I thought I'd end by talking about what hasn't changed. We continue to look for big markets, great teams, differentiated technology. Cash is still king. I wanted to put queen, but people tell me that's sexist. But certainly, cash is the most important thing. And if you're an entrepreneur, you need to use it wisely because no cash, no company. Increasingly, we're learning to live with the rules and regulations that have been imposed upon us, Sarbanes-Oxley and all those different countries that we're dealing with now. And, you know, it's still a challenge. In, in certain instances, it's actually helped us to adopt best practices. I've just been working on a committee with a group of venture capitalists who've been looking to improve venture capital-led boards. So if an, as an entrepreneur, if you talk to other entrepreneurs, you'll hear some horror stories about boards and how venture capitalists behave or not. And so we're looking to adopt best practices and also to adopt <coughs> some of the good things that Sarbanes-Oxley has led us to consider. So we are taking it seriously. At the same time, we obviously don't want to have rules and regulations stop us from being fast and entrepreneurial and passionate. So we're living with it. I still believe today and I can be unbiased, I don't come from here, that Silicon Valley has the best ecosystem for entrepreneurs in the world. So one of my other VCs said that Silicon Valley is not a place now, it's a state of mind. Well, we're looking to take that state of mind and leverage it in China and India and other parts of the US. But in terms of getting a company off the ground, in terms of talent, ecosystem, money, lawyers and so on, it's still the best place here. And we continue to be passionate about building new, exciting, industry-defining companies. Now it's anywhere. And so I'd like to conclude with letting you know that older VCs are actually getting younger by the minute. We are adapting, we're embracing, and we're very excited about all these challenges that we see and all of these opportunities that for new and exciting companies. And uh, we're looking to hang out more with people like you. So thank you. Questions? Yep. Just a quick question on tech. You mentioned it as um, now moving more and more away from uh, sort of lots of nonprofit to more and more for-profit ventures. So I'm curious to sort of if you had any thoughts behind sort of what are the sort of characteristics of the industry that all of a sudden becomes more attractive for for-profit development? In other words, what are the what are the things that you think might be behind the trend that 
now more and more entrepreneurs from a for-profit point of view are entering uh, technology as opposed to 15 to 25 years ago. Yeah, so I was asked a question about clean tech and uh, for-profit opportunities as opposed to not-for-profit. So not-for-profit will continue. But the big difference now is that people are taking clean tech seriously because they can actually see and feel environmental changes. And I, I have to say, I think Al Gore has done a great job in promoting and getting people to be seriously concerned. At the same time, there are many people and many companies who are looking to develop products that will make our world greener, if you like, and people are willing to pay for it. So the big change is that people are willing to pay now. And so I think some of the bigger opportunities are, for example, in alternative energy. Um, some areas of alternative energy take so much money that it probably wouldn't be an entrepreneurial early stage venture capitalist that fund it. But there are some interesting deals out there. We've, in fact, invested in one, of, one ourselves. But it's, it's really those opportunities that have markets. And I think the big change now, without getting too specific, is if you look at clean tech, there are markets now. There are products that people will pay for because consumers are demanding greener products. They will pay for greener products. I think about this every Tuesday night when I do my recycling. When I first came to California, I thought it was the most stupid waste of time ever. And now I'm, you know, separating everything that I can. And, you know, people look at cars, you know. These, the big shots in Hollywood are driving electric vehicles, right? So if you think about it, consumer demand has changed, behavior has shifted, and creating markets. Yes? You talked a little bit about the economics of free. Yeah. Uh, can you have a bit more, like, when, when a company comes to you and their business model is based on advertising, what's your counsel So the question was about the economics of free, and if someone comes to us with a, a business model that's advertising-based, what's the counsel? Well, in many instances, actually, advertising works. I do think that you have to be careful and you have to think through how you're going to bring advertising, say, for example, to your site. So not everybody has thought it through. So often it is the case that people will come to us and they'll talk about a business that looks interesting. And then we say, how are you going to make money? And they say, advertising. And they haven't really thought it through. And then they'll quote CPM, CPC, and so, you know, so many metrics that your head's going to drop off. Just but you have to think beyond the metrics. You have to think about how you're really going to attract advertisers to your site. You have to think about what is going to appeal to those advertisers. You have to talk to other companies who are going to really place those ads on your site. So I would say the key thing in terms of counsel is to think through the model, not just come and say, oh, this is the, this is the site, this is what we're going to do. It's advertising-based. We actually love advertising-based businesses. Who wouldn't love Google? But, you know, you need to think it through. Yes? Um, <clears throat> Ashley Hummel. I hear that, um, obviously, there's a lot of growth in India and China, but there's also a lot of um, opportunities in more developed markets, such as um, Europe or North America. And I never hear anybody talking about Europe. Um, what kind of trends do you see going on there, potential opportunities um, going on for venture capital firms based in the United States looking to invest on? Well, I like this question, actually. So I just asked about opportunities in Europe, and that's where I come from. And um, yeah, I talk more about India and China because it, it's sort of where we as a VC world are, are, are putting significant um, dollars these days. And it's a relative change in activity. So, you know, Europe is 
not one place, of course. I mean, there's UK, there's France, there's Germany, there's Spain, and so on. There are some char common characteristics, not a lot, but there are some. But um, certainly in certain areas, we are seeing a huge amount of entrepreneurial activity, and we do look to Europe. We have one or two investments ourselves. So in the whole mobile space, you've probably heard this before, but the market's ahead in terms of people building applications and using them in Europe. In terms of um, some of the TV applications that we're seeing, you know, Europe is ahead. We're certainly seeing pockets of very interesting software engineers in Europe. What I would say has changed Europe a lot in the last couple of years is Skype. And we're also seeing new companies like a Wi-Fi sharing company called Fon that comes from Spain. It's getting a lot of airplay right now in that airplay being interesting and in that it's, it's looking to build Wi-Fi access points everywhere that you share. And in Europe, the sharing piece is actually more in line with cultures than here. So if you're in Germany, you're very happy to share your Wi-Fi network with another German person. Or in the UK, you'd be pretty happy to share. We're not into sharing as much as Germany. You know, to share your Wi-Fi network with somebody else. In Spain, you'd be very happy to share your Wi-Fi network with someone else in Spain. So they're really leveraging that, but coming here to the US as well. So that's interesting. So these high-profile companies, in particular Skype, because of the interesting exit, has really helping get that excitement back. So there is a really interesting entrepreneurial community. There is money there, but it doesn't quite click like here. So London's not bad. Um, Berlin is getting interesting, great software community. I would say Madrid is getting better. So there are pockets. But if you talk to anybody in Europe, any entrepreneur or any VC, it's hard to put it, harder to pull it all together somehow. And there is less of an orientation to risk. So these are the things we've struggled for a while. But we do look to Europe, particularly in those sectors of technology where Europe is ahead. And also, you're seeing um, on the software side in Russia and countries like that, some interesting talent uh, coming forward and developing games and, and things like that that we're looking to leverage as well. One more question. One more question? Well, the boss here said one more question. Um, you mentioned about it, um, that it's easier to put the money into a company, in say, India or China, but those countries are going to turn up soon at the moment. Right. Do you think if the downswing happens for whatever reason, that uh, extracting capital may be problematic? Yeah, so the question was, you know, we, we talked about as the venture capital industry, we're putting money into China and India, and those countries are on and up at the moment. What happens, you know, if there's a downswing, how do you get money out? Well, of course, when you're investing in another country, and um, countries that have had interesting histories in the past with governments and so on, you do worry. And I keep saying to my partners, it's easy to put money in, how are we going to get money out? What, so, so fundamentally, and I'll just give you an anecdote here, in, having been in Beijing recently and having been visited China a lot over the years, you, you know, you just sense, if you wander around Beijing now, and uh, you, for example, may have a, a comment, you, you, you know it's not going to go back anymore. It just has gone to, you, you, honestly, I'm just telling you that, you just have this feeling. So that's an anecdote. It's just gone so far. You just, it's just, it's just amazing. At the same time, to my point that I mentioned before, we're treating it you know, cautiously. So we're treading cautiously. And so we know that it would be ridiculous to go and just totally divert all of our dollars. So you know, we're handling things carefully. We're working closely with you know, the companies in the country. And those companies are working closely with the governments. 
And so it is something where we have to, you know, work cautiously, learn more, and, and, and that's just what we have to do. We take risks, considered risks. Of course, these are risks. But we're, we're seeing some really interesting opportunities, but we're investing wisely, I hope. Ask me again in five years. It's one more. I have to. Okay. Yeah, one, yeah. Uh, what's your longer term, like, a three to five years after, like, a strategy for India? Do you intend to grow a team or invest in other we do actually. So, um, you know, I st so I was asked about our strategy longer term from India. So I can't be specific about it, except to say that we do see an opportunity there right now. We have made um, two investments, and we're really exploring how to participate in India. And so we know that we need to work with people who are there locally. And so, if you look at our partnership, we have a Dalal and a Vasan and a Kapoor and a Chada and a Romani, you know, we, we've got them all. So, you know, it's, so we're very uh, close and interested to the market, but we need to understand it more. And so I would say that it's very likely that we would have Mayfield India in that time frame, how it would be structured, and how we would target our investments, I don't know yet. But thank you. So thank you very much. and. Um,